As the wise men sought out the Christ child and worshipped him, let us worship him by hearing the peace and salvation that he brought and won for us. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 17 and 21 through 22. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John could be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but someone mightier than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. He will gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. While he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. I am well pleased with you. This is the gospel of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, whenever I hear of Jesus' baptism and John's baptism, it always brings up a lot of questions in my mind. And I can think of questions I get asked as a pastor, like, was John's baptism not valid? And so today, as we work through our text, our sermon theme is Jesus' baptism was the same as yours, but different. We'll cover both of those. I'm going to preach on my own translation of the Greek uh, language that, was, that Luke recorded this in under inspiration, simply to bring out a few subtle points like prepositions. So let's get started. Now to go on, it took place in the time when all the people were baptized. And after Jesus was baptized and while he was praying, that heaven was opened. Do you hear when Jesus was baptized? He was baptized when the other people were being baptized. So we have to recognize that it wasn't like they made a big date, like when you set a wedding or something like that. Set this aside. This is the day that Jesus is being baptized. Wheel out the red, pull out the red carpet and put out a, a golden crown throne for him. Every, other people were being baptized. It was during the period when the people were flocking to John the Baptist to be baptized. So Jesus comes and he receives the same baptism everybody else does. Now we know there's something different just by the fact that the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove and the Father speaks. But the thing we want to understand here is Jesus received the same sacrament. And so Jesus' baptism was the same as yours, but different. The same in that he received the same sacrament. He got the same water and the word and everything. However, we're told in verse 22, And the Holy Spirit descended with the bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven. You yourself are my son, specifically the beloved one, and you I have been well pleased. Now, you'll notice I translated those, that last word, in you I have been well pleased, as a past tense. It doesn't mean that God the Father stopped being pleased with him. In fact, uh, this is a combination of a few different prophecies where it is said in you, I'm well pleased. But in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, that's a perfect tense. I don't want to bore you with different tenses, which would be nomic. But here God's actually, the Father's actually speaking. In fact, this is the first time that we can be confident it is the Father speaking in all of Scripture because Jesus is the spokesman for the Trinity. But the point here is, in, in the Greek, inspired Greek language, he uses the aorist tense, which means this happened. What God is pointing out is something you and I can easily overlook. Why do you and I have to be baptized? Because we're sinners. One of the things baptism does is, is washes our sin away. We're going to get into that in a minute. 
And Jesus was circumcised the way uh, and, and the way Jewish boys were supposed to be and everything else at that time. But what God the Father here is saying is words that should be absolute comfort to you and I. Because what God is pointing out is there's no sin in Jesus. If there was any ounce of unholiness, any impurity, any, oh, you got to try a little harder here. He wouldn't be well pleased all the way up to this point in Jesus's life. And as we know, Jesus will continue to be sin free. If God the Father wasn't well pleased, Jesus could not be our Savior. So Jesus does a lot of things that the law required for sinners, but he never had sin. He, did, he had to be circumcised. As the firstborn, he had to be redeemed. But he was God. He didn't need to be redeemed from himself. Why was Jesus even baptized if he had perfect faith, since he's in communication with the triune God, with the Holy Spirit and everything, and if he had no sin? It's because Jesus is our substitute. So everything God requires of a sinner, short of God never requires that we sin in the first place, Jesus did so that he could be our substitute. So Jesus' baptism was the same as yours, but different. The same in that he received the sacrament, the word of God uh, with water poured over his head, but different in that Jesus was not a sinner. For you and I, we need to be baptized because we're sinners. Jesus needed to be baptized because he would be our substitute. So he did everything required of sinners. Continuing on, if we look at verse 15, our first uh, verse of the text, we're told, Now the people kept on anticipating the Christ, and all of them kept on pondering in their hearts about whether John might be the Christ. Now, we got to stop right here because we have to admit it's part of the human uh, sinful nature that when people really appreciate a preacher, somebody who proclaims the word, lots of times they can get an ego, can't they? Ooh, yeah, my ministry is what's doing it. You really need to specifically listen to me. So does John the Baptist get a swollen head and tell people, who, uh, John didn't teach the word of God falsely, but you're, when people point you're teaching the word of God falsely, you say, but look at my numbers. Not at all. John truly had a servant's heart. In fact, it's interesting, even when we use worship services, when we call them services, because God actually is serving us, telling us of forgiveness and strengthening us. And we are serving him by, by trusting in him, although it's truly we're, we're the ones who receive the benefits. So what does John do? Then John would answer all of them. And, and again, this has happened more than once. This wasn't just a one-time thing in front of a crowd. Then John would answer all them by saying, I keep on baptizing you guys with water. Yet he who is more powerful than I is coming, whose sandal straps I'm not even worthy to untie. He himself will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. Now, first thing we want to point out is John says, I baptize you with water. But then he says it differently. He says, Jesus is the one who baptizes you in the spirit. Now, this is the one who's coming. Jesus is the one who's coming. John it doesn't say, I don't have any power. He calls Jesus the one who's more powerful. Why am I spelling all this out? The power in John's baptism wasn't John. It was the word of God. And John had all the authority of the word of God, just as you do when you share it with others, so long as you are actually teaching it in its truth and purity. Jesus had more power. We're going to get into it here in a minute, but when he says in the spirit and in, in water or, and in fire, we're going to find out that what John is saying here in this point is that Jesus is the one who makes us efficacious. John is a sinful man. He does. He's not God. The power for baptism is not in John. 
It's in the water combined with the word. And so it's important for us to understand that because in the early days of Christianity, before Constantine, we'll say roughly 300 AD, up until that time, it wasn't uncommon, the Roman government, to persecute Christians, and they made it really easy. They would go after the office of pastor, as you know it today, wasn't quite the same in the early day of the church, but they would go after the elders of the church and the people who were responsible for teaching it. They made it real easy. Hand over your scriptures so we can destroy them. Uh, and offer a prayer to Caesar as God and a pinch of incense. Now, a lot of those men uh, stayed firm and would not deny the Lord, and they lost their life for it, and God rewarded them by taking them straight to paradise. Uh, That's when God allows somebody to kill us because we won't reject our faith. We actually go to heaven. Uh, And Christians, if they die without those circumstances, they also get to go to heaven. That's a side note. So... Uh, but those men who some, some of them reasoned uh, or they just suddenly had a weakness in their faith. If they kill me, the sheep won't have a shepherd uh, as far as a human being goes. And so they would do it figuring uh, I'll say to myself, I'm not praying to this guy, you know, kind of like today. I'll keep my fingers crossed as I do this. And so the, a group of people came along known as the Donatists who said, if your pastor or the guy who baptized you did that, even if it was 20, 30 years earlier, your baptism's invalid. Now, the problem with that is it puts the power of the baptism in a sinful human being's hands. John the Baptist was a sinful human being. He needed a savior just like you and I. So we don't want to put the power of baptism in a sinful human being's hands. It goes into the, it's because of the word of God that gives it the power. Jesus is the one who makes it efficacious. And we also want to point out John, when he baptized, he never said, oh, and this baptism is merely symbolic of what's coming. John's baptism conveyed the forgiveness of sins. Let me give you proof. We're working in John chapter 3 starting at verse or Luke chapter 3 starting at verse 15, but in Luke chapter 3 verse 3, uh, Luke tells us about John the Baptist. He went into the whole region around Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, you've heard me say in other sermons, we have to pay attention to the prepositions in the inspired language. And the Greek preposition used here is ice. It's you're heading towards the goal and you reach a goal. So if you're if you're heading home and you're sitting on your couch in your living room, you've reached your goal. The whole goal of this is the forgiveness of sins. John's baptism, clearly just by Luke chapter three, verse three, but Luke isn't the only one who records it. John's baptism resulted in forgiveness. Any Christian who denies that, any Christian who puts a whole lot of butts and in, in things in between is denying what God's word clearly says. Any atheist who does the same thing, it's an outright unbelief. John's baptism worked repentance and resulted in forgiveness. That is the big thing with baptism. And we're also told in Acts chapter 2 verses 38 through 39 by Peter on Pentecost Sunday that baptism results in forgiveness. So We see that it's the same sinful human being baptizing, and it's not his being sinful or his being acting holy enough that gives us its power. It's God. Now, when our text says this, uh, we want to be careful not to misunderstand. Literally, in the Greek language, it says, he himself will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. There's one preposition in. This is the one I often say, like when you have a fence around your backyard, everything inside that fence is yours. Everything outside isn't your business. It's your neighbor's property. So they share the preposition. John didn't say he himself will baptize you in the Holy Spirit or fire. Many people misunderstand that and think that what Jesus is saying is either you're going to come to faith or you're going to burn in hell forever. And certainly because the following verses then talk about judgment, uh, it's easy to misunderstand that. 
But the grammar makes it very clear they share the same preposition. It doesn't say or, it says and, and they share the preposition. What it's talking about here is John the Baptist isn't the one who makes it efficacious. Jesus is the one who sends the Holy Spirit through baptism. And then the Holy Spirit also, he sent him to give gifts. We'll get into that a little bit more yet. But for right now, what we want to see is that Jesus' baptism was the same as yours, but different. The same in that he was baptized by a sinful human being. However, as we're told again, then John would answer all of them by saying, I keep on baptizing you guys with water. That's what John had, water in the word. Yet he who is more powerful than I is coming, whose sandal straps I'm not even worthy to untie. He himself will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand in order to thoroughly cleanse his threshing floor and in order to gather up the grain into his barn, but the shaft he will destroy with inextinguishable fire. So the point we want to get out of all this is the Holy Spirit gives faith. Without faith, you're going to go to hell, period. And those who reject it, they're going to end up in hell. God has done everything, including living a life for you, taking on human flesh to save you. So if you find yourself in hell, it's your fault. It isn't God's fault. God has been gone well above and beyond what is reasonable. We call that grace, and it's amazing, isn't it? But again, Jesus, before he ascends to heaven, right before as he talks to the 12 disciples, and we find out uh, from uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, there were over 500 witnesses that day. In Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus says, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what is this Holy Spirit and fire? Well, we know that 10 days later, on Pentecost Sunday, uh, that the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples and the flaming tongues came over their head and they spoke to the crowd and nearly 3,000 people were converted that day. So John's baptism had to give the Holy Spirit because there were believers. The disciples, several of them had been baptized by John. And we know in all the Old Testament they had the Holy Spirit. John chapter 3, when Jesus talks to Nicodemus, Jesus makes it very clear that flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. If you have faith, it's because the Holy Spirit has entered your heart. So John's baptism also gave the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit creates faith. But Jesus is the one who makes it efficacious. John didn't send the Holy Spirit. When I have the privilege of baptizing an adult or a child... I don't send the Holy Spirit. God does. I pour the water and say the words. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit comes with gifts. And on the Pentecost Sunday, it was flaming tongues. Once you've been baptized, God, the Holy Spirit, also gives you spiritual gifts. And we're going to get into that here in a minute so that you serve. So what we're getting at here is Jesus' baptism is different in that he would redeem us. Notice that Jesus doesn't, that extra measure of the Holy Spirit that was sent on Pentecost Sunday was sent to disciples. They were already believers. He came with the gifts. So Jesus has done all the work to redeem us before he sends that Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. He did all the work and, and, and then he since then sends the Holy Spirit not only to create faith in our heart and when we're adults he sends the Holy Spirit working through the word to create the faith. We're baptized to seal him into the heart and then the Holy Spirit keeps us in that faith, keeps us coming to that word, but he also gives us the spiritual gifts. So it's different that he would redeem us and send. he sends the Holy Spirit where sinners like I, John the Baptist, all we can do is pour the water and say the words. We don't make it efficacious. Its power doesn't depend on us. Jesus Jesus' baptism was the same as yours, but different. The 
same in that he received the sacrament, different in that he was not a sinner, the same in that he was baptized by a sinful human being, different in that he would redeem us and he sends the Holy Spirit. Now, the next thing we got to understand, uh, when you're baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit. And that reception of the Holy Spirit, in many ways, as I've mentioned, gives you the gifts. Like on Pentecost Sunday, the people heard the, the, the disciples talking, but they heard them in their own native language. So they could clearly understand it. Today, we often do not see flaming tongues descend on people and everything else. And I even have to remind myself as a pastor in, in a smaller congregation, sometimes we can grumble and say we don't have this because we we're not a big church. We don't have that, you know. Uh, but God has given our congregation, as he does any congregation, big or small, all the gifts it needs to share his word. And when you were baptized, you became part of a ministry. The word ministry means Service, as I mentioned earlier, we even call our worship services, services. They are, they're serving something. And the way that we serve, as we hear, my go-to is always First Peter, uh, we hear that we have been made royal priests. We use the binding key, which is the proclamation of the law, showing that we need a savior because we are not holy. And if we think we're holy in and of ourselves, we're only lying to ourselves. But we also use the loosing key that Jesus gave us, the one that says, you have a savior and he has removed your sin by giving you faith to trust in his very word that you need a savior and that you have a savior. So Jesus' Jesus's baptism is the same as, as an anointing into a service. You were anointed to be a priest, but Jesus was anointed to be the high priest, if you will. Verse 21. Now, to go on, it took place at the time when all the people were being baptized and after Jesus was baptized and while he was praying that heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended with a bodily form like a dove upon him, and a, voice came, and a voice came from heaven. You yourself are my son, specifically the beloved one, and you I have been well pleased. Jesus was also anointed into a ministry. Now, let me explain. God had planned for David to be king of Israel, but when he was anointed, that said something. Let's look even more because David's can be kind of confusing because he didn't actually become king until after Saul had died. Uh, but David's sons were in the lineup to be king. However, when it was time, David hadn't died yet. Solomon was to take over. He was anointed. Now, Solomon was in the lineup to be king. God knew all the time that Solomon was going to be king over the people, but that's when he officially began the public, and, and it became this is where it all begins. Jesus has always been our Savior. He even lived a childhood perfectly for you and I without sinning. But when Jesus comes to John, his public ministry, proclaiming, yes, I am the Messiah, that's going to culminate in earning that redemption for you and I by dying on the cross so that his blood covers up our sins, the whole thing begins here. And the next thing that happens after he receives that Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit leads him out in the desert where he's tempted 40 days uh, with temptation temptations from the devil you and I couldn't stand up to, but he stands up to them perfectly for us. So we were both anointed into a ministry, you, to serve as his priest using the keys he's given you, the, the law, which shows sin, shows our need of a savior, and the good news of salvation in Christ, which removes sin and opens the gates of heaven uh, and, and gives faith. But Jesus is different because he's the one that makes it all possible. And this makes it very clear. These words of God the Father speaking and the Holy Spirit descending should, should be nothing but pure comfort for you. Because our sinful nature constantly whispers, you haven't been good enough. You haven't earned it in one way or the other. You haven't been righteousness, righteous enough. And we tell, no, 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 you be quiet. 
Jesus, Jesus is the one who was anointed to do this for me. Now, in faith, I struggle with my sinful nature. I haven't applied those keys to myself, but I'm not the one that was anointed to be the Savior. Jesus is. And so these words are comfort, and they silence the devil's attacks time and time again because God the Father and God the Holy Spirit made it abundantly clear. Jesus now is beginning his public ministry to be your Savior and redeem you. So... On Epiphany, here as we look at Christ coming forward to be baptized, we see Jesus' baptism was the same as yours, but different. The same in that he received the sacrament, different in that he was not a sinner. He did it in our place as he was fulfilling all righteousness for us. The same in that he was baptized by a sinful human being, but different in that he is the one who makes it efficacious. He's the one who redeems us and sends the Holy Spirit. The same as you and I were anointed into a ministry, a service of him, uh, to serve him by using those keys, different as an anointing into his public ministry to save you. Amen. Now rise, faint hearts, be resolute. This man is Christ, our substitute. He was baptized in Jordan stream, proclaimed Redeemer, Lord Supreme. Amen.